Autism through cinema. Welcome to the Autism Through Cinema podcast, investigating autistic presence and expression on screen. This podcast is brought to you by the Autism Through Cinema project, based at Queen Mary, University of London, and funded by the Wellcome Trust. For more on this project, please visit our website, autism-through-cinema.org.uk, and follow us on Twitter, at Autism Cinema. In today's episode, regular hosts John James Laidlow, Alex Widowson, Janet Harbord and David Hartley discuss the 2020 documentary The Reason I Jump, directed by Jerry Rothwell and based on the book of the same name by Naoki Higashida. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoy the discussion. Okay, uh, hello. Welcome, everyone. Welcome back to a, uh, another episode of the Autism Through Cinema podcast. Uh, my name is David Hartley. And I'm joined today by uh, John James Laidlow. Hello, John James. Hello. Hi. Hi. <laughs> hey. uh, Alex Widdison. Hi, Alex. Hello. And Janet Harbord. Hi, Janet. Hi. Hi. Uh, it's very nice to be back here again. Um, okay, so today we are going to discuss the very recently released film, The Reason I Jump. Um, and I'm going to pass over to Janet now, who's going to give us a bit of an introduction into this film. So the film we're discussing is The Reason I Jump, released in 2021. It's a documentary film by Jerry Rothwell. Um, when it was on the festival circuit, it won the Audience Award at Sundance Film Festival. Um, it's an unusual film in that it's a documentary based on a book and that book was written by a 13-year-old non-speaking autistic boy, uh, Japanese boy, named Higashida Naoki. It was published in 2007 and it was written with the help of facilitated communication, um, which was in fact an alphabet board that his mother created to help her son communicate his thoughts. Um, his book attracted the attention of the British writer David Mitchell, uh, author of Cloud Atlas, perhaps most famously. Um, and Mitchell has an autistic son. And with his wife, uh, Kay, they've uh, translated The Reason I Jump into English. Um, and as a result of this, the book became an international bestseller. Um, so there's a history behind the film in terms of, of the book and the way the book is written. However, Naoki doesn't appear in the film, but David Mitchell, the translator, does. Um, and we have him at various points commenting on the importance of the book and relating it directly to his experience of his son um, and explaining how the book um, helped him understand what the world that his son lived in was like. Uh, the film is structured as a series of sequences that follow five autistic young people uh, and their parents and carers in different parts of the world. Uh, and we see Amrit in India, first of all, uh, Joss in the UK, and I think Joss is the son of one of the film's producers, um, and we see him in Broadstairs in Kent. We see Emma and Ben in Virginia in the US, and we see, finally, Justina in Sierra Leone. 
Uh, so the film allows us to sort of zoom into these different life stories and brings out the differences between these experiences of autism as well as connecting them through the thread of um, questions of communication. In addition to these different segments that, that, that tie the film together, um, is an imagined sequence that follows a young boy across different landscapes, a young Japanese boy. And this is the imagined Naoki that we learn, uh, we learn as the sequences are accompanied by a voiceover reading from the book. Um, and these, these sequences are shot in a different way. They're far more um, impressionistic or expressive, you might say. Uh, they're an imagining of what that boy is seeing and thinking and feeling as he moves through various landscapes. So in this film, Higashida's book isn't, uh, isn't a sort of founding text that is adapted and there's an attempt to stay close to this source text. It's more like uh, a book that attempts to apply the ideas, a film that attempts to apply the ideas from a book. And so the character in the book are a lens through which we experience these other individuals. The film has, I think, probably two controversial features to it, if we can think of them like that. Um, the Rothwell's use of the language of cinema is, um, is, 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 is quite varied. He uses a, a range of different styles, macro lens, close-ups, distortions, uh, off-kilter framing, um, a blend of sound design and score, um, as well as uh, quite a few sequences where slow-mo is, is employed. Um, so there's the autistic experience of the world conveyed through the various tools of cinema. Um, and this, uh, I think, in, in some ways, attempts to put us as, as the viewer, as the audience, in the place of um, the autistic subject. And I think that the film, The Reason I Jump, is a movie that is sort of unabashedly aimed at neurotypical people. Um, it's, it's, it's there as an explanation of neurodivergence for uh, the neurotypical world. And I think there are questions about whether in that case uh, it follows in um, the footsteps of a lot of other films that, that attempt to explain autism um, to the world outside of autism. And I think the second controversial point is that of facilitated communication. And this features quite heavily in the film. So it's part of the origin story of the book. Um, it's also part of the, the sequences um, that we see, in particular, the American sequences between uh, Emma and Ben, um, who have been friends for 20 years. And we see them um, using the alphabet board uh, in in their um, in their classroom and in in their relationship, each of these aspects have received attention in reviews of the film. Um, I think it's important to say that that the reviews of the film have been um, often very positive in the mainstream press, um, and perhaps more controversial um, outside of that. Thanks, Janet. Um, yeah. Okay. <laughs> 
This is, this, I think this is going to be quite a complicated discussion in, in many ways. There's a lot to think about here with this film. I, um, I, 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 I've been thinking about it ever since I went to see it, which was about four days ago. Um, and it's been sort of playing on my mind. And I, I, I have real sort of mixed feelings, I think, now about the film. I think initially I really liked it and really enjoyed it. Um, it's worth noting as well, this is the first film of this um that we've recorded on this podcast that I've actually managed to see at the cinema um partly because it's because of the lockdown but also because it's the it's the first film that we've chosen that's kind of currently on general general release as we're recording and and so it was really nice to be able to sit in a cinema and watch it on the big screen and of course all of those um that that, that aesthetic that you're talking about that Rothwell uses works particularly well on the big screen and uh, and and that was really nice to see um so in many ways it was a, it was a, a very a positive cinematic experience for me anyway um because I managed to see it on the big screen and there, I think there was an uh, uh, an autistic member of the audience as well who was there, there was only a few people there when I saw it and I think one of the other people there was autistic and so it was just sort of nice to be in that environment I I enjoyed the film I enjoyed some of the 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 message that it was uh, bringing across. I enjoyed that it had an international a- aspect to it. That there was, uh, you know, uh, that, that the subjects were not just white and Western and male. There was, you know, was a good split across the genders. There was a good split. There was a a um, Amrit in India and. Uh, uh, Justina in in Justina in Sierra Leone, and it was nice to sort of get a bit of an insight into these different parts of the world. Um, so I appreciated that as well, and uh, and it, it, I think it still remains quite rare anyway to see this kind of autism represented on screen in in some ways, um, and I sort of appreciated that as well, and. Uh, and so there, I felt that there was a lot of positives in the film, but then the more I sort of reflected upon it, the more I started to think about, I felt there was perhaps uh, too much of a, an emphasis on the parents potentially and on the, because that's something that, that's very common to films of this nature about autism is that the, 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 fo- the focus seems to shift onto the parents quite often and about all their trials and tribulations and their troubles and how difficult it's been for them. And at those points, the the actual autistic individuals tend to sort of get either objectified or a little bit sidelined. Um, and that seems to be something that the that, that I thought could have been addressed a bit bit better in the film um but nevertheless i i i like i try and with films like this i try to take a bit more of a sort of broader view of it and and almost a kind of historical view of it because in many ways a lot of the the um the points that the film was trying to make align with neurodiversity as an idea and and align with the some some of the principles of the neurodiversity movement and there was positivity around the film there was a kind of um a a, a call to sort of uh you know of autism acceptance and of autism autistic understanding and of uh, help you know um being uh, supportive of autistic individuals and understanding that 
even those with uh, minimally who are minimally verbal or non-verbal or however you might phrase it still have value and have something to say right and this is just such a markedly um markedly more positive outlook on the condition than we had even 10 or 20 years ago and i i I really appreciated the film for that reason. And, and a lot of the autistic people that I follow on Twitter for, in particular have been talking about the film in the past few weeks. And that, and that does seem to have be, that does seem to be appreciated. So I think on a kind of wider sort of bigger level, I, I was glad to see that we've got to this point where um, the, the sort of messages of neurodiversity do seem to be filtering into culture a little bit, a bit more comprehensively there are still problems with the film many problems and there are controversies around the facilitated communication issue which i don't necessarily feel like i'm necessarily an expert in and but i do have some thoughts on that but um but yeah i think on a kind of a sort of bigger level i kind of appreciated the film for that reason i think if that makes sense so i um on the topic of like controversies around um, facilitated communication. Uh, I was aware that there were sort of early accusations um, that accused Nakio of not truly authoring his own book and, and suggesting his mother um, was in some way guiding his hand. And they just seemed like, you know, quite cynical, neurotypical projections of you know, disbelief and, and, you know, almost putting autistic voices back in their place. And so I was quite surprised that any of those quite cynical perspectives um, were still relevant within this film or in some people's responses to this film. And maybe I'm wrong, maybe that's their separate issues. Um, uh, but I think I felt like the, the, the director had very much had those accusations in mind and just wanted to demonstrate the process on film, show the agency of the um, autistic uh, speakers using this this uh, method. I mean, I think certainly there's lots of non-speaking autistic people who use keyboards, um, which aren't uh, isn't demonstrated in this film, perhaps because it's a much more familiar site and. Uh, and so we had this more unconventional um, method with a sort of pointing at a, a text board. Um, so it felt like that was sort of debunk any of those accusations. And I think we see that very clearly with Benjamin and um, Emma. Uh, you know, there's just no possible way of conceiving anybody else authoring the statements that they're writing. So in some ways, it's a really valuable bit of footage to just, you know, disprove any of those quite cynical, seemingly neurotypical accusations, putting autistic people back in their place as like, oh, you couldn't possibly, you know, express this sort of agency. So I think it's quite valuable, those scenes. Um, but no, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I sort of, I guess I'm not, I don't have the knowledge to really understand the nuances of other um, uh, controversies that have emerged about the facilitated communication processes. Um, that is sort of circulating among autistic self-advocates on the blogosphere right now. So I won't delve into that. But it, to me, from maybe a naive perspective, it seemed like a very important 
opportunity that was highly valued by these people as a as a means of self-expression. Um, yeah, and I think that's clearly emphasized when Benjamin you know, and Emma asked, you know, what was your schooling like previously, and 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 Emma says it was just a waste of time, and and Benjamin states that you know infringed on his civil rights. You know, these statements really hit home in the film, and. Uh, for me, you know, it was a very powerful moment. And I think the only thing I am uh, was a bit sort of was reflecting on afterwards was like, well, there weren't really that many statements coming from these um, non-speaking autistic people. Uh, you know, potentially there could have been, you know, half the film could have been dialogue from them. Um, but actually... The, the vast majority of speeches from neurotypical supporters or family members. Um, so I, d I do agree that it's quite a, a complex and complicated film. Um, and I went into it already having read about the con controversy about the book and whether um, facilitated communication was, whether it was genuine communication or if there were issues around that so but I, I was sort of actively trying to look for the positives in the film and and there were there were definitely were some I mean sort of just the amount of just waiting for the car to go past um so the the amount of um the amount of autistic people in the film who don't who don't use speech primarily was it's, it's quite groundbreaking if you think about it that they, the way they were you know just to have them on on screen and not in a pathologizing or negative way and also the the international aspect of just having so so many different autistic people around the world um is quite powerful um and there were smaller bits like um, I think it was Joss, when it was raining, he put his hand out with his palm facing up towards the rain. And it was quite funny because I do that too when it's raining. And people have commented on it that I hold, I just hold my hand out. And um, it's kind of like almost like an unconscious thing that I always do even to this day. Um, so there was definitely a lot, a lot. A lot of value in this film I feel but it was I do feel like it was some genuine autistic experiences kind of mediated by neurotypicals I mean the director is neurotypical and the voiceover and a lot of the dialogue is from neurotypical people um, and I know it's quite, probably the distributors are hoping for quite a, a big, you know, a big um, audience and, and, you know, um, for good reviews, but I do kind of wish that they'd sort of pushed a bit further to, to not rely on certain things such as the narration and the, the voiceover, um, I think it's kind of like a contradiction to to talk about how speech isn't the only way of communicating and how it's not that important but then rely on it for the film 
Um, yeah, and I guess that I guess that might be the issue other autistic people have with the facilitated communication. Is it 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 is autistic communication facilitated or mediated by a neurotypical person generally, and I mean there. It, I'm not saying this is what happened in the film at all, but you you can see how that method could be manipulated either like consciously or unconsciously by the person holding the letterboard and the person interpreting the words. Um, and I think it's impossible to know whether that whether that has happened in any case without knowing the relationship between the person facilitating the communication and the person communicating. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with what a lot of what you say there, John James. And I, I, mean, I was thinking about how I enjoyed two parts of the film the most that, that didn't have, didn't rely on language. And that was Amrit when we were looking at her drawings and her paintings and her show. And they, they were just extraordinary. Watching her draw was extraordinary. And, um, you know, that brilliant style of line drawing. And then when you see what she's done with that, when we see them being exhibited and the complexity of these drawings, beauty, um, and her very individual style as as an artist, I found that really interesting. And the other the other story that I liked a lot was was Emma and, and Benjamin. And I thought that just watching them watching their relationship, the way that we get into that when we see them doing the hockey game, the ice hockey. We see them dressing up for that and uh, about to go into something quite exciting. We get to follow them in different places along the street. We get to follow them in the forest. And Emma has that that musical, um, a bit like a Walkman, I don't know what it is. Um, but she's she's listening to music as they walk along together. It seemed like there was a lot of intimacy in that relationship that you could feel without any of the language. And those were the, the, were the bits that I enjoyed more than listening to her, to, to, to his mother speak or um, seeing them being educated and using the the alphabet board. Um, so, I, so I thought the film offered different things, you know, it, it, it tends to direct us towards this this idea that um, uh, autistic people who don't speak can communicate that seems to be one of the one of the messages can communicate through language through written language but on the other hand we are getting to see people um, not communicate through that and and do it in a more seems to me a far more sophisticated and nuanced way um, so yeah a complicated a complicated film from that point of view I also wanted to say, every time I heard that voiceover coming in, I found myself getting more and more irritated as the film went along. And I could have done without that, actually. I would have been happy to watch the boy wander around the landscape, but but not without that. So I think we're beginning to get, a, to get an angle on language here about how it's not, in fact, the most important thing about the film. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point actually and I was the same with that voiceover although it's kind of like performed quite well and delivered quite well it, it, I think my problem with it was that it, it sort of edged too far into sort of the infantilization of autism I think that's one of the other things that's that's a little bit present within this film is how 
um, some of the subjects of the film just feel a little bit infantilized at times, I thought. And, you know, cutting back continually to a young boy um, in this sort of running around various landscapes and in this kind of almost like this sort of fantastical wonderland, I suppose, was a little bit, leaned a bit too far into some of the cliches about autism, especially of it being male and young and um, of people being off in their own world sort of thing, um, which I didn't think was necessarily helpful. And the one part of the film that I didn't like was um, was right at the end, they make a kind of um, a decision at the end to have the author, David Mitchell, who we keep coming back to all the way through the film, and he's giving all of these kind of very wise and sort of um, quite literary and authorly kind of insights into the situation. Although we never meet uh, David Mitchell's son, who he does refer to a couple of times, his autistic son. I mean, that might be his own choice to, to not want to put his son into a film, which is absolutely fine, but we don't actually ever meet him, nor do we ever meet Higashida either, except through his words. And so in the end, this sort of film almost becomes about David Mitchell in a way. It becomes about the translator of the book. It almost almost places him as him as the kind of hero of the film, in the of the narrative in a way. And then right at the end, what you get is this situation. I can't remember what the voiceover is saying, but it's getting something along the lines of... So the young the young Japanese boy comes up, he's sort of wandering been wandering around the whole film and he's going into all sorts of like various places with big pylons and um a a, a kind of a viaduct that he stands in, a very impressive, architecturally impressive viaduct that he stands in at one point. And then at the end he ends up at, seemingly at David Mitchell's house and he sort of um is sort of looking in through the the glass door or the window I think there's a glass door and he's looking at David Mitchell who's sitting on his desk with all of his author bits and pieces his pens and his papers and all his his beautiful books and stuff that I was looking at and feeling very jealous of uh, and David Mitchell's there studiously writing away and then he looks up and because he sort of senses that someone's watching him and he looks up and that the boys have gone at that point he's, he's sort of run off but he's left a kind of condensation of breath upon the pane of the window and it's something along the lines of you know we are here as well don't don't forget about us and and we're here and we can communicate and there's a kind of message that's placed at the end there but that, I, I, I sort of was a bit uh, about that ending because I sort of felt like it was it was sort of saying um yeah it sort of brought home to me the i that, that what's already been mentioned that it feels like this is a film for neurotypical people rather than than for autistic people and i thought that that moment sort of suggested that a little bit it sort of said um it, it almost leans into this kind of oh i've broken out of the shell of autism in order to communicate with you you wonderful neurotypical people and so that you can then pass my words on to the world um and I didn't think that that was necessarily the the right angle to take with the ending. Although I absolutely agree with you, Janet, that there were many moments within the film um, that were really joyous. The, the, yeah, the bit between Ben and Emma, um, uh, particularly when they're walking along and she's playing some very loud and annoying music from her um, from her device. And she's you get the voiceover where she's commenting and saying, you know, Ben Ben's really patient with me. He puts up with a lot from me, which really made me laugh. And then, uh, and you get this really lovely, nice kind of best friend relationship going on between them. That's 
that I thought was really important to show actually. And actually, the other the other uh, subject that I I I enjoyed spending time with was Joss actually. And what's interesting about Joss is, if I'm remembering this rightly, that there's there's not much as as much of a an emphasis on the facilitated communication with Joss. We we spend more time with him. Uh, he again, similar to the kind of the the Japanese boy, we spend a lot of time sort of wandering around with him around the streets and his parents and some of his carers, and we sort of get witness him sort of reacting to various places and things. What I think why I liked Joss and why I kind of con- connected with the character, the the subject of Joss a bit was because he reminded me a lot, quite a lot of my own sister, who is in some ways quite similar to Joss. Um, you know, is always needs to be with a carer and um does have moments where she um uh, she can get you can you know can get angry and confused and upset in the way that Joss does um but also has this kind of nice connection with the world and um there's a there's a moment with Joss where he they're talking about the green boxes and the green boxes are the um are kind of electrical boxes that you sort of see everywhere around the UK um where you know you get all, all of the the wires of the, the telephone wires and so on that are, connect, are sort of stored within these boxes and it's there's this moment where you get this inference that Joss can sort of hear a lot of buzzing from these green boxes and quite enjoys that and quite likes that and it reminded me a lot of my sister who who um really enjoys hearing the sounds of motorbikes passing uh, houses or or if we're in the car together and a motorbike zooms past the car she'll always roll down the window and sort of listen to it and she gets quite a lot of pleasure out of that sound so it was nice to just sort of see that sort of thing happening on the on screen and being uh, and being sort of highlighted and i i kind of appreciated the joss section for for that reason really it's also worth noting that 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 joss the film itself uses the term non-verbal quite a lot, but I felt like that's really kind of the wrong term in many ways. I tend to try and use the term minimally verbal rather than non-verbal, um, because Joss wasn't non-verbal. He was. He was. He he did a lot of talking. Um, he he communicates in an unusual way, in a way that doesn't necessarily make sense or connect with the kind of norm quote-unquote normal ways of communicating but he does has does have a lot to say there was an interesting moment which was never quite explained but I quite like that it wasn't explained where he was talking to his father and saying something along the lines of um he said something like it's a red hoover and his father said no 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 it's a black hoover and he said no it's a red hoover and his father said no 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 it's a black hoover and you get in that a kind of inference that there is a there is a communication going on there because clearly that's a phrasing that means something both to Joss and his parents and that means some to Joss and his parents and his parent and and Joss's carers as well that clearly communicates some sort of anxiety that Joss might have around a certain thing that's happening at in, at that moment in time. We never really the film never really delves into that, but it was it, I sort of appreciated that that was there and that could be seen because it's again it's another example of the unusual ways in which autistic people, some autistic people, can use language in order to communicate certain um, states of certain emotions or certain anxieties or certain pleasures. And uh, again, again, something that that resonated with me because my sister has a similar you know catalogue of phrases that seem strange outside the context of our family um 
and so yeah and so that, that that was another element of the film that i felt i kind of appreciated and and, and enjoyed um yeah so um one thing i wasn't expecting to see or i thought would be um well it, it wasn't that i wasn't expecting it there was a, a sort of just basically has a meltdown and his parents restrain him um or at least are with him but it's all quite obscured um so we have the audio of what's happening but um you sort of get this sense that the cinematographer is sort of in the corridor um close but 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 sort of resisting actually um exposing the detail of it um i think that you know that's a very uh, a sort of difficult thing to to put in the public sphere you know a very private difficult painful moment um of one of the participants but what i was it was good to hear was i went to a, a screening of the film at the Bertha Dock House um in Bloomsbury and and it was a Q&A with uh, Jeremy Rothwell afterwards and he sort of explained the consultation processes that they had um with um members of the autistic community um i think i mean this, this i didn't get a, a sort of the names or or um the number of people but it was, seemed like it was about uh, 12 15 consultants they had on the project and he said he described various sort of contentious points that were debated at great length um and that certainly the um the meltdown and restraint scene was uh, something they discussed at great detail um and uh, he reported back that um the consultants thought it was an important aspect of life that uh, should be addressed um and in the film but it was very it took a lot of negotiation to work out how to do that um ethically and um without sort of it exposing um i guess too much sensationalism or um um you know I, I always go back to that uh Louis Theroux documentary from about 10 years ago where it seems like it was just trying to ramp up the horror the horrors of the most vulnerable and difficult moments of autistic people's lives um and it seemed to be on the opposite spectrum of that where it was like we sort of have to address this but but we really don't want to dwell on it and really sort of expose the difficulties of that moment too much we just want to sort of acknowledge its existence so i guess it was i mean you wouldn't have known this otherwise but it was comforting to know that there was a lot of people involved in that negotiation about how to approach that and it wasn't just you know neurotypical jeremy sitting on his own um pondering this um so that was you know good to know um and i spoke to jeremy a little bit about uh the the sort of the sensory aspects of the cinematic experience you know he was very passionate about this 3d audio that's able to be achieved in the cinema space it obviously won't it won't translate to the um to the sort of screener viewings but um and also you know he was he emphasized that the cinematographer um Ruben Widem uh Deschamps I've probably pronounced his name wrong I'm sorry Ruben um anyway Ruben uh, is synesthetic and um that seemed 
to be like a great advantage for him to sort of dive into uh, these environments, which are really just the places where um, um, they were filming with autistic participants and trying to sort of emphasize the sort of sensory experience of those environments. But we, but uh, we had a quick chat about whether or not was Jeremy and Ruben, were Jeremy and Ruben trying to replicate or simulate autistic um, experience or was it a sort of more deliberate analogy or a sort of a a detached like okay well this isn't literally what someone is experiencing this is just a sort of a heightened experience to help you think about it you know how direct was that evocation of uh, of autistic experience Um, and Jeremy reported that you know he didn't really want people to, to assume this is a, a representation of an autistic mind space or perceptions. Um, but he, and he was frustrated that lots of newspapers and reports and reviews were really saying it was that. Um, but then also we have a moment in the sound design where Joss is experiencing, uh, I think he's out on the, by the seaside and there's lots of noise and Joss covers his ears and then the, um, the audio track is uh, dulled or muted to, and there's this cause and effect result between the sound design and uh, what we're observing of Joss's behavior. So I think it's a little bit inconclusive or maybe even contradictory. The film doesn't really know if it's evoking subjectivity or not. And maybe it sort of wants to, but it feels like "Mm, maybe we shouldn't be making those claims. And so that seems unresolved to me. Uh, or inconsistent from the project. Um, I think as well that that moves on to something that made me feel a bit uncomfortable with the film is this whole. Well, I guess it's 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 the words from the book, but it's all about showing neurotypicals the autistic world. Um, so, I mean, right at the beginning, there's there's some narration that says a previously hidden world. And I, I, I said out loud, hidden to who? Like, who is this hidden from? So it very clearly establishes that this is almost like an explanation of autism. I mean, well, that's what the book is, for neurotypicals. But the film, the film is also sort of doing that. And, and like you said, Alex, there's, there's a bit where Joss covers his ear and and the the audio track mimics what that would be like so it is trying I feel like the film whether consciously or not is is positioning us as being brought into what it is like to be autistic um and and that idea of bringing people into a work into the autistic world and it's repeated quite a lot throughout the film there's also I think there's sort of a mention of a puzzle at some some point, like that the child's a puzzle to work out or something like that. Um, and also, oh, just trying to read my notes. There was something else that. Oh yeah, so you 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 mentioned the scene with the with the meltdown, and that's kind of like framed as almost like something that happened after puberty. Um, 
so it and, and David mentioned this too about infantilization of autistic people. It's kind of like they kept they kept showing images of Joss as a child, as if he existed in sort of a pure state, and and as he becomes more more of an adult, he's sort of losing losing that pureness and. I think his mum even says that his sensory world changed and became a nightmare or something. Um, it's kind of, it's a bit, feels a bit um, awkward to me um, because a lot of children, autistic children, struggle with meltdowns um, and th there are very definite issues around people who don't use speech not being able to express themselves when they get to puberty, but I mean that happens to to a lot to a lot of people around puberty. They're not able to express themselves, so they get frustrated, um, and they have trouble regulating their emotions. Um, and I think I can't remember who says it. I, I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure it's Joss's dad, but I might be wrong. But I just made a, a quick note that someone talked about the sensory input to autistic people has been wild, which made me feel really uneasy, because it's kind of like, I don't know, I feel like it kind of others autistic people, it's kind of like these, these um, magical creatures that have a connection to nature, and and I think um, Justina's, Justina's dad talked about her raising her as being a lesson in fa fatherhood so again like it's all the way autistic people are, are talked about it's kind of always as if they're teaching the neurotypical people some something that they didn't know before yeah i i mean i had that i had that similar feeling around um some of the ways in which the voiceover was was used to uh, articulate an autistic experience in very in what appeared to be very much neurotypical terms, sort of like another another facet of what we're talking about. I think the way, and I noted it in a few of those that those things like an envoy from another world. Um, one point, the voiceover says, as a human being. Um, able to being able to express myself is the most important thing in the world. Um, another one was I can't believe that anyone who is human wants to be left on their own. Um, another one we are born outside the regime of our civilization. They they seem to be very big, generic statements to make that that are. I, I just wasn't quite sure how they landed, you know, in the, in the film, they, it, it sort of struck a bit of a false note for me. And I was thinking, oh, is this, is this what people, neurotypical people feel really comfortable thinking like, you know, it, locked inside the autistic body is a person who really wants to express themselves and get out. And when I, I thought that, that in other moments of the film, it showed autistic people in, in, in other worlds that weren't at all desperate to express themselves and get out and be be part of so-called civilization. So I, I, I thought it was quite odd in that way. Um, and, and, and another thing that I wasn't quite sure of, 
uh, was the plural stories, like this, this selection of different stories from different places. And I think, and on the one hand, as as we've said, as someone said, it's it's really a relief not to have, you know, a white European focus for this or even white British focus for this. It's quite ambitious as a film that attempts to get different cultural experiences of autism. Um, and I and I thought that the that those links between, you know, what David Mitchell was talking about with eugenics, you know, gets sort of echoed in the story in Africa, um, where uh Justina is is treated by local people in the community as though she um, is a witch and her mother is is a witch. She's the product of witchcraft. Some of those links were were quite interesting, but we also didn't get much of a context for these differences. And I wasn't quite sure in the end whether that sort of whether the whole thing then became absorbed into this universalizing story of autism. Um, here is the story of autism. It doesn't matter where you go, it's the same, you know, and people who are autistic, who have minimal language, um, you know, they appear to be in a world of their own, but 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 they're not. There's an expressive person dying to get out. So it's sort of, it, 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 it was interesting and ambitious, but there was something about it that, that felt like it went to quite a stale place potentially as well. Yeah, I think I completely agree with that, actually, Janet. As you were saying that, I was thinking, yeah, that's... That's potentially one of the main issues with this film is it? yeah, it does... And I remember having this thought as I was coming out of the cinema, I was thinking that, yeah, it's it's another example of autism being um, reduced down to, to, an, to a sort of individual framework. Um, and, yeah, you're right, actually, saying suggesting that that it is kind of the same worldwide and same across different boundaries, uh, national boundaries and uh, racial boundaries and so on, um, is problematic because there is not, it isn't the same and it isn't, um, autism is experienced in very different ways by very different people. And yeah, there is a worry, I think, that perhaps if this now becomes the sort of big main film that people refer to in order to understand and learn about autism, they'll come away from it thinking that the majority of autistic people are nonverbal and um, and these are the ways in which they behave and these are the difficulties that they face. And yet, the, and so that does not, in fact, represent autism more broadly, um, which is a shame. And and there perhaps could have been room for a, a bit of a broader um, and deeper uh, exploration of different variations i guess of the autistic experience that might have been which may have come from potentially having more autistic involvement with the actual steering of the film the direction of the film um it, it certainly does feel like it's got the touch of neurotypicality upon it i think and and that, and that sense to sort of um to to to, to dominate um and there are a lot of um issues within the world of autism and the autistic community at the moment about autism and intersectionality and autism and race, which uh, isn't really getting kind of properly um, explored or um, confronted in many ways. I mean, I I wouldn't be able to sort of delve into the kind of detail on that, but that, that does seem to be a kind of 
something that is a bit of a, an issue at the moment within within the, the discussions around autism. And this film sort of has an opportunity to to perhaps do that and to talk a bit more about um, some of the some of the difficulties or some of the challenges that particularly face, for example, black autistic people or or um, well, generally kind of non non white uh, non westernized autistic individuals. But it seems to dodge that a little bit. You sort of get glimmers of that occasionally uh, here and there, but it does seem to sort of, on the whole, it kind of dodges that responsibility in some ways. Maybe that's not really what the film was trying to do, but it felt like it might have been an opportunity to try and um, delve a little deeper into some of that, which um, which I feel like it didn't, it never really did. Um, but maybe that's maybe that's a job for an, for a different film. But it's uh, it, it did feel. A little bit like it was trying to keep keep everything quite clean around the edges of of the autism that it was trying to present in some ways. I felt. I think um, I think we're actually being really harsh, and uh, you know, expecting this film to have represented all different forms of autism and uh, criticizing it for not um, grappling with the intersection of class, race and disability in America. You know, I think, you know, as a project that started off as an adaptation of a book where um, an, a minimally or non-speaking autistic person tries to communicate his experiences to um, neurotypicals, I think it, it tries quite hard to stick to that mission and actually goes a little bit beyond it and gets drawn into other topics of like, you know, what, what are the circumstances in Sierra, Sierra, Lo, Sierra, my goodness, uh, Sierra Leone. <laughs> and, you know, I think it goes quite far beyond the, the purview of, of, of its, of its task, um, or its intentions. Uh, and sort of that in a way was, you know, one of the great benefits of Hashida basically saying, I don't want to be in this film. Um, you know, use my text, but, but go go find some other people. Um, so, yeah, and I think it was, I don't know, I just, I just feel it's very, it's not a very interesting to, thing to say to, to, to sort of state that, oh, it's, I like the film and it was great. I enjoyed it. And yes, there are complicated things and, and ways of looking at this, but I feel like, um, you know, the, the sort of representation of autism in general has been, uh, this is an example of it lifting and um, being more thoughtful and, and stronger attempts at being collaborative and, and you know, prioritising ethics. Like, we should celebrate that to a degree. And we've created plenty of space in our recording to discuss some of the problems, but I feel like it's um, somehow harder to just sort of praise this film even though I think it deserves it um I think I partially agree um because the, the when David said oh if this becomes the the next big film that everyone refers refers to when they're thinking of autism I did kind of think in my head well it's it's better than Rain Man or Sia's music like but so yeah, so it is it is definitely you know obviously an improvement on those films, but I think I think we should still be critical where where it's due in order to keep 
pushing pushing that forward, that representation. Uh, there were because there were there were there were definite points about the film I I enjoyed. You know, um, Janet mentioned Amrit's artwork, which was just I, I really loved being introduced to her and 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 the drawing she did, um, and the and the friendship between the two um, autistic people in in America. I can't remember their names. Um, ben and Emma. Um, but I think it comes back to not not needing that voiceover, which I said at the beginning. Like, um, there's a, there's a part of whether they narrate Naoki's words where he says, "I'm not saying I'm not saying this is what it's like for all autistic people." But these aren't the exact words, but this is what it's like for me. And so that that's a good caveat. But then they kind of use use those words over a wide a wide variety of autistic people across the globe. So it it's a, seems a bit confused, like with the with the simulating sensory experiences, like they kind of, the film says one thing, but then shows another. Um, it, it says it's not speaking for all autistic people and it says it's not simulating sensory experiences, but then it does seem to do that. Um, because yeah, it's great to see so many people who who don't who don't primarily use speech and and live all across the world, and it's it's really interesting and important to see that. But there is yeah a sort of one worldism feel to the film, like, um, and I think um, I think it would have been interesting to see more advocacy in the film, um, because what Justina's mum does in Sierra Leone was really really interesting, you know, she set up that group. Um, I would have liked to see more of that in different um, different places across the world. But also, it did bring up something for me that felt a bit uncomfortable, is that quite often the neurotypical people in the film talk about the autistic people as if they're not there. Um, in in that group that Justina's mum runs, that, you know, the 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 parents were talking about how they were they were told to to kill their children or abandon them in front of Justina and Justina becomes quite upset and leaves the room um and there's even a bit quite early on in the film i think where ben is in his in in a sort of dining room area and you can hear his mum talking about him in the next room to the camera and you can you can hear the words and I just that made me a bit uncomfortable at times. I mean even Joss's parents talked about him as if he wasn't there sometimes. So it's kind of there's also a contradiction there, like autistic people can understand language and, and want to communicate. So therefore maybe you shouldn't talk about them in and act like they can't hear. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that actually. There was a, there were a few moments um where where that seemed to be the case. There was one that um I thought that the maybe the, I thought the film was a, a bit uncritical about a few moments like that and uh there was uh there was a moment where Ben and Emma were having a kind of there was some sort of like dinner happening, a, a barbecue or something I think, and they were eating outside with um 
with both sets of parents and I think perhaps some siblings or family friends or what have you. And they're all gathered around the table eating a, a meal together and talking about Ben and Emma um, whilst Ben and Emma are there. And it's a really positive conversation. And then it gets to a point where they're all sort of start, they all sort of lift their glasses and start saying cheers and sort of clinking glasses and cheering each other. And then I think it's Emma's mother starts to say to her, come on, Emma, you know, cheers your glass with with Ben. Come on, cheers your glass with Ben. And she's Emma's trying to say something else at that point. She's trying to have a different line of conversation with somebody else across the table. And it, it sort of was clear to me that she wasn't didn't want to necessarily pick up her glass and do cheers with with Ben at that point. And it just was one of those moments where it was like this whole film is about how um, the, the the miscommunications between neurotypicals and 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 autistics and how um, we should be doing more to understand how that the 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 needs and the wants and the communications of the autistic people who who struggle with communication. And here was a, just like a kind of small domestic moment, which I thought was really frustrating. It was like, well. Why are you suddenly telling your, you know, Emma to do this thing that is a very neurotypical convention potentially, and 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 sort of pushing that? And that was one of those moments where I thought, well, you know, maybe it was put into the film to sort of show that there's still difficulties between in in the communication, even between um, parents and their and their um, children or their uh, their offspring. But like, I sort of thought that was one of those moments where it's like, well, you know, perhaps they don't want to do that at that moment. Perhaps that's not their priority. They are trying to say something else. And why are we not listening to what they're trying to say? So again, a little kind of little nuggets of moments, which just felt a little bit contradictory that sort of centered around, around the parents. But I do want to just come back to what you were saying, Alex, about, you know, being a bit more positive towards the film. I I feel like I've been quite negative about the film actually when talking about it today, but, um, I, I do agree. Like, I did enjoy the film. And, like, I really... I think if someone came up to me and said, you know, I'm I'm totally new to the world of autism, are there any films that I should go and watch um, to, to understand it better? I think I probably would say, watch The Reason I Jump. I think, I think it does give you um, a pretty good insight into the autistic world. It's got a more positive um, drive about autism. And... Um, and it does it does sort of let you enter the autistic world with a with a kind of yeah sort of a, a positive overview so i do think it's got it's it's a film that's got a lot of value and if if it does become the main autism film um and then yes yeah, so it is a much better film to have other than um instead of rain man or instead of music um and i'm glad to see that it's that it's been received so well critically it's getting four stars five stars across the board in the mainstream media and i think that's a positive thing and i do think it's a positive thing for uh, as many people as possible to go and see the film at the moment it just comes with a bunch of caveats it, it feels like it may might be a sort of like an entryway into into things and then there's a, there's there are more complex issues then to to learn about and to read about off the back of that but it's certainly a film I, I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily hesitate in recommending to people. Yeah, I mean, going, picking up Alex's point about whether we're, we're being hard on it, I, I'm, I'm thinking about this. Um, and and similarly, uh, I to what's been said, I, I enjoyed the positive drive of this force and I, I think that has to be acknowledged. And I think there are some really interesting moments in it, some, 
some really ambitious moments in it, as well as as the caveats and what I think are kind of contradictory impulses in it. I mean, I think I think for me, then there is a strong negative that re- that remains that it's a it's another film in in the genre of let's explain autism to the neurotypicals, and in that way, it hasn't moved that much further for me from Rain Man or or the Mark Haddon's book, you know, the curious the incident of the curious dog in the night where it's like you know here here are autistic people having to explain and use the communicative codes of the neurotypical world and in some ways i i, I sort of thinking about it I'm, I'm wondering why this book became a film because book books are about language and this this the subject of that book is language and the nature of film is not necessarily language and and i think it might have been more successful if if the film had had less language and more or less spoken language uh, and and some other forms, um, you know, more of the artwork, more of the camera work. I was very, you know, I was taken by moments like when we watched um, Joss, as was already been picked up on, listening to those green boxes with the the sound of the electricity that he's highly attuned to. Um, I found that really interesting. And then I found the montage after that of how the world of being reconfigured as this taxonomy of different green boxes. Um, and it suddenly seemed really creative and interesting. And this seemed, seemed to be not putting us in Joss's exper- in place. You know, we're not pretending to be autistic if we're neurotypical, but we're beginning to see the benefits, the creative benefits of, of this apprehension, this particular apprehension of the world. Um, so there were moments in the film like that that I really liked and, and I thought were, you know, like bursts of, of energy and vibrancy that, that were lovely to see, um, as well as the other things that we've we've already taken it to task for. I think in, t- in terms of thinking about the, whether the film has, has moved that far from, from um, previous depictions of, of autism on, on film... Um, it's kind of like uh, I feel like it hasn't. The film didn't move on from the book. The book is is almost ten years since it was p- first published in England English, and um, it came out in two thousand seven in Japan. So, I mean, um, that I mean, in terms of rhetoric around autism, that that's that's quite a long time now. So. Uh, I kind of feel like the film might have been more successful if it if it took inspiration from the book but left the book in the past and became its own thing. Uh, I think that would solve a lot lot of the issues I had with the with the film. Yeah, okay. Uh, well, I, I think that probably rounds up all of our uh, of our thoughts on the film. Uh thank you for that very interesting um discussion because I think it's yeah, it's quite a it's quite a complex and quite a, a, a mixed mixed bag really, um, but I think it's very uh, valuable that we've had this discussion. So thank you everybody, um, and uh, yeah, really nice to us also to 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 have watched a film that is you know very much current. It's very much today. It's out currently out at the cinemas and. Um, and so it's great to have been able to consider where we are, I guess, at the moment with um, autistic representation in cinema. Um, well, at least from the point of view of this particular film, anyway. Um, okay, so we'll we'll bring it to a close there. Um, so thank you very much, 
to John James, to Alex and to Janet uh, for being part of this, this discussion. Um, we'll be back hopefully in a couple of weeks' time with, a, with another, uh, another film. Um, but until that point, goodbye. You have been listening to the Autism Through Cinema podcast, brought to you by the Autism Through Cinema project from Queen Mary, University of London and the Wellcome Trust. Thanks also to Leverett Jakes for supporting us with their unfailingly excellent editing skills. Our theme song is Waterfall by Meter, used under a Creative Commons attribution from Null Teal Records. The Autism Through Cinema podcast is brought to you by the Autism Through Cinema project, based at Queen Mary, University of London, and funded by the Wellcome Trust. For more on the project, please visit autism-through-cinema.org.uk and follow us on Twitter at Autism Cinema. If you'd like to contribute to the discussion of the films we talk about, or if you have any suggestions for future episodes, please email us at cinemaautism at gmail.com. That's cinemaautism with a shared A in the middle of the word. We'll be back again in two weeks' time with another slice of neurodivergent cinematics. Bye for now.